been a Christian for a while now, and it never gets old to remember uh, who I would have been uh, had not Christ died for me. Uh, and so it's good to sing about that uh, whenever we have the opportunity to be together. So this morning we are continuing our series in the book of Romans. We're going to finish up chapter 5 today. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. And uh, we'll get to reading that here in just a moment. You notice that the title of the sermon today is A Better Inheritance. By the way, inside your bulletin, in one of those many inserts, there is an application guide on the back, and it's a sermon notes page on the front, if that's helpful for you as we go through this passage together. That's uh, Romans 5, 12 through 21 is where we're going to be. A Better Inheritance is what I'm calling it, and it's true, isn't it? That not everything that we inherit is good. Not everything we inherit is good. From my ancestors, I have inherited a funny-shaped nose and a propensity to drool at inopportune times. I don't know where it comes from. It just happens, and I'm not the only one in my family that it happens. It's kind of weird, isn't it? But I've inherited that. I wouldn't say that that's a good trait to have inherited. Perhaps you have a strange facial feature or some quirky behavior that's been passed down from generation to generation. Not everything we inherit seems good. Some things that get passed down from generation to generation are much more devastating than web feed or a drooling problem or anything else you might put in that category, though. You can think of families that you know in which something like alcoholism has seemed to be passed down from generation to generation. You can think of families in which it seems like at least somebody in every generation spends some time in prison. Much of what gets passed down or inherited by the next generation is not good. As humans, we have inherited from Adam much that is not good. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, generation after generation has inherited not only a sinful nature, but also a desire. We choose to willingly sin. And the consequence of that is punishment and death. No human is immune from this. This is our inheritance that we all receive simply by being born. But there's hope. And as we've worked our way through the book of Romans, we have seen much bad news and much good news, but we have seen much lately that has given us great cause for hope. There is much hope because Christ has come. Last week we talked, or a couple weeks ago, we talked about the great hope that we have because we looked at verses 1 through 5. We are justified. Those of us who are in Christ, we are justified. God declares us righteous through faith in Christ. And so we receive that gift, but not only that gift, also we receive peace with God. We're saved from the wrath of God. We looked at last week. We are reconciled to God. We have ongoing access to His grace, and there is much more so far, even just in chapter 5, that has given us great hope. And we're going to see hope again today. We're going to continue to hear the good news and here's the big idea today. As humans, we inherit much that is bad, and only in Christ do we receive that which is ultimately good. 
That's the big idea of Romans 5, 12 through 21. And so if you do have your Bible, like I said, go ahead and open it to Romans chapter 5. And our habit here is that as God's Word is read to help us remember that this is the Word of God, we stand together. And so would you stand together as we read Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Let's pray first. Heavenly Father, would you now, as your Word is read, clear our minds from things that are distracting us? Would you soften our hearts from things that, that harden them? And would your Holy Spirit be at work in this place during this time that we might not only understand your word, but that we might delight in your word and that we might obey your word. Help us with that for your sake in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 5, starting in verse 12. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can be seated. You notice there's really a... Maybe as I was reading that... uh, you thought, well, that's kind of confusing, um, and it is. If you read through that passage kind of quickly, it seems like, whoa, I'm not quite sure what's going on. A lot of stuff, though, gets repeated over and over again in that passage. It's a passage filled with comparisons and contrasts, especially between Adam, the first man that God had made, and Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who was not made, but has eternally lived as God and who came to also become fully human for a period of time. I'm breaking this passage down into two sections. I think that's how it's most clearly broken up. You can maybe break it up a little more than that if you wanted to. But to try and simplify it today, just looking at it in two sections. 
And there's enough verses here that we're not going to be able to get through uh, looking at each word in each verse, but I've studied it enough that I can feel pretty confident I'm going to help us better understand this passage that can seem a little bit complicated. But again, the goal isn't just to understand God's Word. We want to be people who don't just hear the Word of God, but do it. We want to see it applied to our hearts and to our minds, and I trust that God will do that as we go through it this morning. So, first point is this, verses 12 to 14 talk about the mess made by one man. It begins in verse 12 with the word, therefore, which points us back to everything that I just talked about from earlier in, in uh, chapter 5. All right, I'm going to go to the next slide, except for it's not working. So, uh, there we go. Um, now we got it. All right, mess made by one man, verse 12, says this, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. I put a little diagram up there because maybe you're like me. When I'm doing this, um, I have to, I, I'll show you my notes from this week. I've got four pages of notes from this week that are just uh, arrows and lines and, and all sorts of stuff. It's just, uh, I, I can't read a passage like this and just say, oh yeah, I get that. I have to like dig in and work through it. I encourage you to do that as you read scripture on your own as well. Um, probably, probably like if you're just doing a devotional, you don't just quick read through, hey, I got five minutes, I'm going to read through Romans 5, 12 through 21 and get it. You have to study scripture sometimes, and I encourage you to do it. Um, quick advertisement, uh, if you want to know how to study scripture better, come to a Sunday school class. It'll meet at the end of the hallway starting next week at 9 o'clock. Hope to see you there. All right, um, let's go on. Um, verse 12, though, talks about, oh, now, now it went crazy. Whoop, whoop. It caught up with me. There we go. Verse 12. You see that diagram? That's helpful for me. So sin comes into the world through one man, and death comes to all people because all sinned. Okay, so sin gets introduced through Adam, and through sin, uh, through, through Adam, sin comes into the whole world. Through death, through sin, death comes, and to, then death, so you get that? That, that diagram might be helpful for you as you look through verse 12. Verses 13 and 14 then talk about how death reigned. Amanda, this is not working today, so I think I'm going to have to depend on you to go ahead and, and change the slides for me when I get. So look at verses 13 and 14. Sure, some didn't know what they were doing. That's kind of, as I, as I was looking at verse 13, I was thinking, trying to put myself in the shoes of somebody uh, living in Rome, receiving this letter from Paul. And, and let me just read it first, and then we'll get to it. Verse 13. Verse 13 says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. The, the, the objection that some might have to what Paul is saying is they might say, but Paul, so you're talking like sin comes to everybody. Everybody inherits this sinful nature. Everybody chooses to sin. Everybody's going to die all because of one man's sin. Well, maybe they didn't know any better, Adam. Or maybe they didn't know any better, Paul. And Paul says, sin was in the world even before the law was given. 
right? The, the law came through Moses many, many years after Adam was created. Adam had a clear command from God. This is what you're not supposed to do, and that's exactly what Adam did. But there was many people that lived between Adam and Moses before the law was given. And it's not like they're not accountable for their sin. Maybe they didn't know exactly what God had commanded like Adam did in the garden or like Israel did after the law came. And so he uses this phrase, so death reigned from Adam to Moses. And so it then he kind of stops talking about the law. We're not going to hear about the law till the end of this passage. Jewish people would have been wondering, okay, so what was the law for then? Like if 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 there was sin and death reigning, but then God gives the law. And some people might have had this mistaken notion that God gave the law so that if people would just do what God said, then they would be just fine with God. That they would make themselves righteous by being obedient to the law. And so, so, so they had a lot of hope and trust put in the law that came through Moses. Maybe death won't reign anymore. Maybe sin won't be the master anymore since we now have the law. Is that the truth? Well, he's going to answer that not until the end of the passage, so we're just going to have to wait. But he's going to give us a better answer before we get there. All right? So death reigned from Adam to Moses. Now, look at the next verse. At verse 14, I want you to notice the end of it. At the end of verse 14, it says, Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Notice that? Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. What's a type? May, I don't know what, I, I didn't look up other translations, so I'm not sure what your translation might say there. A type, though, is really just like a foreshadowing. Okay? So saying that, that Adam was, of course, a real person, right? And, and he really sinned. But he was pointing us to one who was to come. Just as sin comes through this one man, Adam, and that has an effect on all these people, there was someone else who was going to come and reverse the effects of Adam's sin. Right? He was kind of pointing ahead to that. So Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Verses 12 to 14 are pretty hopeless and bleak if you don't have that end part right there. Uh, Verses 12 to 14 just make you feel like, yeah, I get it. Things are messed up. Sure, there's some good stuff in the world, but no one, no matter how rich, righteous or rich or healthy or whatever, nobody escapes death. And so we have to figure out some way to explain why does all of these, why do all of these things take place that are so undesirable in the world? And it's because of Adam and his sin. And the fact that we inherit it and we choose to do it. But then it says Adam who was a type of the one to come. And that's where we start to get just a little bit of hope. So there's this group of people in the world who who live with great hope. Uh, and that group of people are those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I, I really have a hard time understanding how somebody could endure life in this world with all of its challenges and trials, with seeing the sin all around us and seeing the sin inside of us, and and not have faith in Christ. I don't know how you live with hope in a world like that. 
I think a lot of people put a lot of hope in, like, temporary things. So their hope for a period of time is that, you know, I, I know a lot of people whose hope is in the Minnesota Vikings, and then Terry Bridgewater gets hurt, right? So, like, oh, well, I, now, and, and, and like, they're, they're shaken by that. Um, because sometimes our hope is in things that, like, well, you know what? At very best, that's going to give you a temporary amount of peace and security and pleasure and joy. That's the very best that that can do. But there is a group of people living in the world, those who are in Christ, who can look at everything going on in the world and still live with great hope. Because our hope is in Christ. And that's what the next verses will point us to. So, let's go ahead and look at verses 15 through 21. The hope we have because of one other man. Now, verses 15 to 19 are filled with comparisons and contrasts. It's taking Adam and taking Jesus. What Adam did and what Jesus did. How what Adam did affects us and how what Jesus did affects us. Lots of comparing and contrasting going on in verses 15 to 19. And rather than walk through each of those, because some of the ideas get repeated many times, I want you to just take a look at these. I just put it in two columns. This was very helpful for me. I just tried to take what what was in verses 15 to 19 and say, okay, how do you break it all down? How do you simplify this? Here's the comparison and contrast between Adam and Jesus. On the one hand, through Adam, here's what we have. Trespass and disobedience. Right? Those are the two words that are used most often of what Adam did. Trespass and disobedience. That's what Adam did. What's the result of Adam's trespass and disobedience? Well, the, the result of Adam's trespass and disobedience is that we're made sinners. That's in verse 19. Okay, actually those words trespass and disobedience, one of those words shows up in every single one of these verses, 15 to 19. We're made sinners through Adam's sin. We are, the many, the, the all, are made sinners. And because we are sinners, we will face judgment and condemnation. Right? So that's what we inherit from Adam. We inherit this propensity to sin, and we desire to sin, and we sin, and because of that, we will inherit judgment and condemnation, which ends in death, right? And death reigns. See that, verses 15, 17, 21, okay? All over the place we see the effects of Adam's sin on all of us. So that's what Paul wants to highlight to some degree, but all of that is to contrast it with what Jesus came for. And Jesus came to be the new and better Adam, to be the one in whom we would not have all of those things that we have in Adam, to give us a better inheritance, right? And so Jesus comes, we read in verses 15 to 19, and with him come righteousness and obedience. Where Adam was disobedient and sinned, Jesus never sinned, lived in perfect obedience and righteousness. We see that in verses 17, 18, and 19. And through Jesus' sinless life of righteousness and obedience, all who trust in him are made righteous. We were made sinners in Adam, and we're made righteous in Christ. In Adam, we receive judgment and condemnation, but in Jesus, we receive abundant grace and the free gift. In Adam, we receive death. In Jesus, we receive life. In Adam, death reigns, and in Christ, Grace and righteousness reign. Is that, is that helpful for you? Hopefully that's helpful for you to just see it in columns. Like I just took those words right out of the passage. 
right? And so we look at that and we say, praise God that we're not left to be only in Adam. Praise God that he has sent his son so that all who trust in him can have new life. That we're no longer reigned over by sin and death. That we're no longer looking ahead to judgment and condemnation, but we instead have been made righteous and we experience God's abundant grace and His free gift of eternal life. And grace and righteousness now reign. If the mess we're in can be traced back to Adam and his sin and the solution is found in Jesus and His righteousness, some Jewish people who, who Paul was writing to might be wondering this. Okay, but hold on, you still didn't tell me about the law. Like, what was the point of that? Right? So if, if it's all bad news that comes from Adam and then Jesus, but there was a few thousand years separating the two of them, right? Like, so, so what about the law? What was the point of that? They're wondering about that, and he'll get at that now in verse 20. So let's look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. The law came in to increase the trespass. Okay, so obviously then the answer to Paul's question, the question that the Jewish people are asking Paul is, it's not going to be the case that the law is going to be our hope. It's not that death reigned from Adam to Moses, and then God gave the law to Moses, the, the Ten Commandments, right? And then everything just got better. Right? If, if you've read the Bible, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that's not the case. It's not the case that the good news is the law because God gives the law and then everything is just better. Because people are like, oh, now I get it. And now people don't want to sin anymore. They just, that's not the way it works, right? All that the law did is it made sin more visible. People were sinning before there was the law. And now that they had the law, the law just helped them to see what sin was. It makes their sin more visible, more noticeable, to increase it in many ways, right? So that's what, so, so the law isn't our hope. Our hope is not in, just like the hope of the Jewish people was not in, oh, well, if I just can start to do everything that this says, then I'm going to be made right with God. That's a point that Paul's been trying to make all throughout the book of Romans so far. Hopefully, we're starting to get it now, because the temptation still is for us to think, that somehow, if we would just kind of check the right boxes and do the right number of things that God wants us to do, that somehow what we do is going to make us right with God. But the reality is that until we are in Christ, we are still in Adam. Until we have repented of our sins and put our faith in Jesus, we are still in Adam. And we're not going to get ourselves out of that. So the law points to our need for God's grace. And so the rest of verses 20 and 21 say this. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a lot of good news in the passage that we just looked at today. In a little bit, we're going to take communion together, which is another way to remind us of what Christ has come to do. But I want to end with just some application. Because this can be one of those passages that maybe kind of like makes your brain hurt a little bit as you try to understand it. 
But I think that, as Scripture says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. And so what is useful for us in this? A lot of times when I think about application, maybe you can do this while you're studying Scripture, I like to think of, what does this tell me that I need to change about what I do with my hands? Okay, About the way that I live my life. Then I ask, well, what does this change about the way that I need to think? And what does this change about what I need to love? So kind of do a head, hands, heart kind of thing. So I'm going to do that with us quickly this morning to help us understand how this passage applies. Is there something we can do? In light of the truth that we see in Romans 5, 12 through 21, what do we do with that? Do we just kind of show off to other people because now we understand Romans 5, 12 through 21 and they don't? Not at all. If we start to really grasp the reality of what we read in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, we would recognize this horrible truth. And that is that people all around us are being ruled by sin and death, and they're headed towards condemnation. Like, do you get that? This is not just some hypothetical, we wanted you to get some really good theology, so I wrote this book called Romans. Paul is writing this to believers, and God has given it to us so that we would know that this is reality for the majority of the people in the world. Have you thought of that? The majority of the people in this world are being ruled by sin and death and headed towards condemnation. That's the reality, because that's what it is to be human if you are not in Christ. And so we who know how they can receive a better inheritance, will we not be the ones who ought to share the gospel with them? So that might mean like you asking somebody out to lunch and sitting down with them and, and just seeing where they're at, what they understand about who Jesus is and what he came for. It might look like you serving in Awana with a ton of kids that are going to start coming this week on Wednesday night, many of whom are still being ruled by sin and death and headed towards condemnation. They need to hear of what Christ has come to do. And so will you show up on Wednesday night not just thinking that I'm going to show up and I'm going to make sure that kids don't hurt each other for an hour and a half, but I'm going to show up so that some of these kids can hear of the new life that can be theirs in Christ. Will you do that as you serve in youth group this year? Will you do that as you come together for clay Bible studies and Sunday school? And that, like as we gather together as a church that we would be thinking of that. And then for our heads. I think there's something to do with our heads in this. There's going to be a lot more on this in the coming weeks. If you're in Christ, we need to think about what it means that sin and death no longer reign in us. Okay, That's going to be a lot in chapter 6. I'm looking forward to getting to this in chapter 6. But here's the truth. If you are in Christ, sin and death don't reign anymore. They're not in charge. You don't have to do what your sinful nature is tempting you to do anymore. That's good news. And we need to remind ourselves of that. And we'll talk about that a lot more in the coming weeks. But our hearts, the last one. How does this apply to our hearts? Well, it gives us something to long for. We need to ask ourselves this question after we read Romans 5, 12 through 21. Is my heart satisfied with Christ as head? Or am I still living with Adam as my head? 
Do you long for a better inheritance that's ours in Christ? Or have you kind of settled for the inheritance that we all receive as humans? It's a good question to ask yourself. It's easy to settle in. It's like, well, I guess this is just the way I am. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that from people as a pastor, and it frustrates me. If they're Christians, if they're not Christians, I totally get what they're saying. But if they're in Christ, they put their faith in Christ, and they now have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, and they kind of have this hopeless attitude like, well, I'm just that way. Like they're talking about some sinful tendency they have and say, well, that's just the way I am. Like it's hopeless, like they're never going to get over it. We're going to learn about that in the next few weeks. But that's not true. Sin and death no longer reign over you. Don't settle for the inheritance that we have in Adam. But long for the inheritance that we have in Christ. I think the final application would simply be this. That we must rejoice. We rejoice in what we have in Christ. What we've been given in Christ, that's what causes us to gather together, to serve in the ways that we serve, to gather when we gather, to sing the songs that we sing. We recognize all that we have been given in Christ. And what else are we going to do but rejoice? So I love the Apostle Peter. Uh, when he, you, know, you remember him from the Gospels. He was the first one to open his mouth almost all the time, and it usually didn't go well for him. Right? When he opened his mouth, I'm sure, like, if you were one of the other disciples, you'd be like, ooh, here he goes. Like, what's, oh, what's he going to say now? Or maybe you're, like, sort of entertained by him. Like, oh, boy, here goes Peter. He's going to hear, oh, boy. Uh, You know, like that's the way Peter was. But over time, through the work of Christ, through the Holy Spirit, Peter is transformed. And so he writes this letter, which is in Scripture called 1 Peter, and the first words out of his mouth after his little greeting there are not silly words that are going to cause rebuke. Listen to the first words out of Peter's mouth after his introduction in 1 Peter. Because he knows... He knows about this inheritance that's his in Christ. He knows where he was headed for judgment and condemnation until he was saved through faith in Christ. And he knows what he has now in Christ. And so this is his response, and I hope this is our response too, and I'll close with this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. Aren't you looking forward to that? I don't know what kind of stuff you've inherited materialistically from people in your family. I don't know what kind of genes you've inherited from your family. I do know what you've inherited because you're a human in Adam. But what we can together rejoice in, if you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, we can rejoice in and say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That's what we have. We are people who live with hope. Yes, we look at the mess in the world around us. Everybody's wondering how it got here. Scripture tells us how it got here. It came here in Adam. And our only hope is not in 
a better political system or the right person getting elected or anything else. Our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. And so we rejoice in that. And that's what draws us even to come back to the table every month as a church. That we come back to the table to take communion again, to remember again that that the only way that we live with any hope, the only way that we're not any longer under judgment and condemnation, the only way that we are made righteous is because of what Christ did on the cross. And so we pass out the bread and we eat the bread together to remind us of Jesus' body broken for us. And we pass out the cup and we drink the cup together to remind us that Jesus' blood was shed for us. Without that, we have no hope. And so if the elders would come forward and and prepare to serve us,